0: Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that in your word, you have everything that we need. We want to thank you that Lori's been showing us the texts that can help us when our emotions are um, good, bad, and ugly. We ask that you bless us today in this seminar and help us to all learn something that draws us closer to you and to each other. In your holy name, amen. Amen. Well, the buzzword is emotional what? Intelligence, or we could also call it EI. And the third part of emotional intelligence is motivation. There are other words that kind of go with motivation, and that is ambition. Um, And people who are motivated and continue on and work towards a goal are using what? How about perseverance? Have you heard about that in the Bible? Or persistence, people who are highly emotional and emotionally intelligent will stand firm despite opposition. Well, that's again, that's from the secular information, but when you think about applying that to a Christian, what do you think that could mean? That when there's problems arising in the world, we will still stand with God no matter what, that we will not depend on our emotions and our feelings, but we will intelligently think about what God has blessed us with and why we want to stay focused on him and we'll ask him for help. We don't want to be discouraged. Have you ever heard the saying, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And that's a really good saying, isn't it? Because we need to make sure that when everything is easy, that we don't forget how to keep strong when it's tough. And when it's tough, Actually, we learn a lot, and then when it's easy, we get kind of apathetic. Haven't we seen that? Well, I was looking on the Internet, and um, I saw this this problem. Do any of you old like me that liked Ann Landers as you were growing up in the newspaper? I didn't know I was going to be a therapist. I used to read all of those and, and share all, I mean, save all those columns. I thought that was so exciting. I thought, oh, I just want to be the Ann Landers of the world next, and she was sharing this, and I thought, wow, this is really good because it's about ambition, enthusiasm, etc." so let's hear about this. She states, dear whoever it was that's not in Ann Landers anymore. There's a couple of columns out there. I am deeply in love with a man who is 10 years older than I. Despite our age differences, we have a great time and lots of fun. My biggest problem is that life is spreading ahead of me, and I'm excited about it, and I have lots of ambition to meet my goals. But my fiance has no goals. He has no ambition. He hates his job. He has been trained as a chef, but he chooses to do little minor jobs, and he hardly makes any money. Do you think there's any hope for me? So what do you think? Do you think that a um, girlfriend would be able to manipulate, harass, or, or lecture him to get him to move forward? No. Hmm. Because what happens when people do that? We dig in and we get more stubborn and angry, right? Is it right to tell people, you need to come up to my standards and then I could like you better? No. Do we ever do that in our churches with some of our new members? Hmm. What does it take to change a person's thoughts and feelings and behavior? What does it take? The word of God, what? The Holy Spirit. If we don't have that in our lives, what's the chances of that? So then let's say that you married somebody like that and you've done the you know, persuading, convincing, the preaching, etc. and it doesn't happen, what do we do? God has to change me, doesn't He? I have to give up my expectations of that person. I have to change my attitude. I have to stop thinking that my way is the best way. There's a lot of work, isn't there? So, the other thing is that sometimes people settle for those things and still go forward, right? And they expect that there's gonna be a magical cure and they have a lot of sadness ahead. But we can get through some of these things because God is really good. And he can help us. But you know, there's necessary endings. Anybody ever read that book, Necessary Endings? There's a time for everything, a time to give up and a time to go forward. And sometimes when you are not in a situation yet, because you haven't married them, you need to be breaking up, right? And sometimes people are afraid. They go, oh, but I love him. I hear this all the time in counseling, but I just love him. It takes more than water to make soup right? And it takes more than love to make a healthy marriage and relationship. So give people good advice when you see people struggling with that. So that's about ambition. How many of you know people who could not stick to anything? How many of you knew brilliant, intelligent people who looked like they were going to go really far. Maybe they even got voted to be the most successful person in their class, and then they didn't accomplish anything. There are people who give up on parenting. There's people who give up their children. There's people who give up on their marriages, their jobs, their schooling. I mean, I have a brother that quit his college education one semester from his business degree. Don't understand that. He drives a truck. And bless his heart, you know, at least he's driving a truck. But I'm just saying that it's really sad when you see people giving up. High, emotionally intelligent people, according to the books, endure, are determined to meet their goals, and they have a lot of, well, I, this is my word that I used to grow up on. How many of you have heard the word gumption? What does gumption mean to you? stick it to itness or... Moving forward, persistence, yeah. It seems like we're all born with a certain amount of gumption, but if we don't exercise it, it just rusts out. Would that be true? Because when we're young, we want our way. Have you noticed? My cookie, my seed, right? And then when we get older, we go, whatever, I don't want to do that anymore, right? So we, um, sometimes when we grow up, we don't always grow in a healthier way. And we don't always use our stubbornness to get our goals. We use it to just control people. So what is this verse? Let's read this. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now, when it talks about your heart, what do you think it's talking about? Is it talking about your ticker? It's about your mind. And it says, do not lose heart. What does losing heart mean? Getting discouraged, getting giving up, etc. Can you think of any Bible characters that had a lot of gumption? What was that? David, Joseph, Paul. I think of Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel. I have no doubt that he was committed to God way before he had his conflicts. He knew what he was going to do way ahead. And that is, a, somebody was talking to me yesterday about behaviors and sometimes they, they react at certain points and that's really important to realize is that we need to have a mindset where we agree we're going to do something before the problem comes up so that we already know how we're going to progress. Joshua was committed to God and he gave a famous speech In Joshua 24, 15, he said, For as for me and my house, what? We will serve the Lord. Not, he didn't say, if it feels good, or if I feel up to it that day, or if I get out of bed, he said, we will serve the Lord. Have you noticed how the world has become really gray rather than black and white? You know, we think this is how things are. We don't know if this is what you think would be the best. And I'm like, but there are principles and standards that are exact, aren't they? And we need to have that in our mind that before we get into a situation, for me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord. And that is really important. If we work on something big and we look at the whole thing, doesn't it look overwhelming? But God can help us step by step. If you think that the Lord wants you to do something, don't look at, you know, way ahead. Know that every day the Lord will give you strength until you can accomplish it, right? Except that one time on my computer, everything was getting doubled. All of my, um, all of, everything that I would put in would triple or double, And so I kept deleting over and over. I had thousands of deleting. And my husband said, why are you doing that? And I'm like, because I just want to clean it up. And he's like, but we could just eradicate the source so it doesn't do that. And then you wouldn't have to delete. There's sometimes some intelligence in that, right, Mickey Nicholas? Yeah. But if we believe that God is in that project, we need to keep on. That's why wise Solomon said that iron sharpens iron it means we have to have godly people around us that are holding us accountable that don't want us to take out the easy way and will support us to do the right thing right and so circle your people make sure that you are in church with people who are supportive of your religious experience because if you're just worshiping on your own you don't have that support well how many of you know i'm a social worker right okay there was a time when I got married, and I was told that social work is a really full profession, and there is nobody that can get a job with social work. Social work was my passion. I had, Since I had been like 13, I had been a volunteer. I'd been volunteer probation officer. I'd work with retarded children at a home. I'd been on a hotline, and I thought, oh, getting paid for social work, that's so exciting because I loved it. And so I got really discouraged, and I thought, well, maybe I just need to go into nursing, because nursing, you can get a job all the time. Have you ever thought about doing something because it's the popular thing to do? So I went to a school, and I started in the Detroit area, and I started taking classes on nursing, and it just wasn't exciting. I mean, I really, I was pulling average grades And finally, after my last one where I was just annoyed with all the sciences and the things that I was learning and I didn't like, I said to my husband, I've had it. I'm going to apply for my master's. I'm going to go to Wayne State and I'm going to get a master's in social work. I don't care if there aren't jobs out there. I'm just going to ask. I feel like that's what the Lord wants me to do. And my husband got all tearful. And I thought, wasn't that sweet? He feels so good that I'm being passionate about my new career and he said no that wasn't really it. (laughs) He said Lori you love to talk and I could just see you filling syringes and putting the wrong medications and I'm afraid you're gonna kill somebody. (laughs) Well I became a social worker. I got A's in social work because it was my passion And I'm really thankful. I love it because I really believe that my field has been a blessing to even church members. And um, I think that you need to not get focused on what other people's opinions are. You need to do what you feel the Lord wants you to do and he'll bless you. Do you agree? All right, let's read this. This is from Ellen White. I don't remember what NL stands for, but it's NL 59. It takes persistence... Not of a day, nor of a year, but of a lifetime. I'm going to start that again. I want to make sure you're all with me. I love to hear the voice choir. It takes persistence, not of a day, nor of a year, but of a lifetime. The struggle for conquest over self is a lifelong struggle. Without continual effort and constant activity, there can be no advancement in divine life, no attainment of the victor's crown. So we just took this emotional intelligence from the business world that says motivation is really important, and we recognize that the Bible and Mrs. White talk about persistence, perseverance, consistency, struggling, moving forward, pressing ahead, and you see these are Christian ethics, very important. Um, God can give us the power to stay persistent and focused on a goal. Let's read this. Ready? Ready? The Christian must put forth the utmost exertion in order to gain the victory with even more zeal and determination. So is that really passive? I'm just going to wait and see if the Lord brings something to me and delivers it to my doorstep. No, these are active words. It says that we really need to do this. Many people quit their jobs or miss their work easily. I was reading about Americans. They said that 35% say in the last year that they made up an excuse about why they didn't go to work because they wanted the day off. And I was reading a little bit about John Calvin. He was a theologian many years ago. He was afflicted with rheumatism and constant migraine headaches, and yet he continued to preach, teach, write books, and he governed Geneva, Switzerland for 25 years. I didn't know that. But there are people that, despite the fact that they're in pain or that they're having issues, will continue to stay focused on what they want, they know what God wants them to do. Let's read this, okay? This is Acts of the Apostles, Acts of the Apostles, 484. The Christian worker is to press on toward the goal, showing to the world, to angels, and to men, That the hope of seeing the face of God is worth all the effort and sacrifice. What do we need to be doing, folks? Is that a biblical concept? Yes. Is it a passive concept? Is it if I have a headache, if I don't feel like we need to continue to press on. We need to not be stopped. We're to make goals. How many of you have a goal? If you are just maintaining, you probably won't accomplish as much. I would like you to think about it right now, about a goal that you feel the Lord, well, I, should, I don't want to say the word feel, about something the Lord has impressed you that you need to do maybe in the next year. Think about it. I hope you pray about it. I hope you'll tell somebody about it that will help you to be accountable because every year we should be making gains, shouldn't we? We shouldn't vacillate, we shouldn't be apathetic. Remember at the hockey games, anybody ever gone to a hockey game? I came up in Detroit, I went to the Red Wings hockey game as a child, and every, every time that the, the team wasn't doing very well, the organ would start, and it would go, da-da-da-da-da, da and everybody yelled. And don't you think we need to do that? da 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 da, da. We need to press ahead. If you have a goal, and you are going to pray about it tomorrow or today, hand me a piece of paper and tell me what that goal is, and I'll read it to some people so that we can inspire them about what the goal is. God wants us to contact him with our goals. So here's something that he says. Let's read this. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now, you know what? I like to do things yesterday. Do you? Why does he say wait? Patience. Testing. Getting the idea before we move forward, right? We need to wait on the Lord. And how many of you would admit that in the last two days, while you were being spiritually fed here on Camp Meetings Campus, that you ran ahead of the Lord? Would you say that? And you did things without talking to him first. That is so easy to do. Let's read this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Did you hear that? Again, that about the lose heart. Can we lose heart when we get discouraged and we wait on the Lord? People are like, you know, they'll tell me, you know, I've I've been asking the Lord for that for a long time, and I think that it's time for him to do that for me, because I'm going to get really discouraged. I don't know that the Lord works that way. We need to not lose heart, because he is faithful all the time. You want to know where that verse is found? Thank you, I didn't write it down. I'll be happy to look at it for you later. How's that? So we need to fix our eyes on the Lord. Did you hear that? How do we fix our eyes on the Lord? Study, prayer. You know, my goal, I was thinking, what would my goal be? And it's like, I would like to pray longer. Not No more of these just really short and on the run. I want to wait on the Lord and I'd like to pray for a longer period of time. So I really need to be working on that too. Um, Here's another one. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so you may have great endurance and patience. Colossians 1.11. When we are strengthened with his power, what will we have? Great what? And patience. Can you say that? Great endurance and patience. Any of you need great endurance and patience? Can you say this? The goal was greater than the toll. We're we're talking about Jesus. The goal was greater than the toll. The gain superseded the pain. The prize would dwarf the price. Little tongue twisters, but Jesus kept his mind focused on where he was going, and that's how he got through his crucifixion. You know, and there's another story about Jesus. And what did he tell the man who was paralyzed? He said, get up. Some of us are sleeping. Some of us are laying in bed. Some of us think that God's going to take us out and put us on our knees and make our lips move. We need to get up. He said to that man, get up. He had lame legs and he had to do it all on faith, but we need to get up, right? Can you say that? I need to get up. I need to get up. God will turn our Stumbling stones into stepping stones towards him. If we get up, right? God will turn your step, stumbling stones into stepping stones towards him. Let's read this one. We're together? This is Romans 12, 12. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. We need to be what in affliction? Does that, does that have anything to do with wait on the Lord? How about faithful? How many of you need to have your faith tested? You know, if you don't work on your faith, the Lord will give you some ideas of how to do that, right? Encouragement to all of you. By the way, is persistence, consistency, waiting, is it easy? Is that why so few people do it? And if I just do it because I'm counting to 10, it's not going to give me more energy. We need to ask God to give us the strength and the endurance, don't we? But we need to hang in there, right? Hang in there. We are to press toward the mark. How do we know that? Because there's a Bible verse on that. Takes some energy. I have a friend who told me that every Sabbath, when they ask for prayer requests, the people say things like, Pray for our young people. Pray for the Smith family, the Brown family, the gray family, the the white family, whatever, that they will come back. I'm just giving you some odd names. I mean, some common names. She said that they will come back to our church. So she said, one of the things I do is I go up to them and say, I notice that you're really concerned about the young people. Would you go out and do some visits with me? Well, no, I'm not going to do that. I never did visit before. And she said, well, then, would you, would you mind if we call, why don't we make some phone calls or write some notes to them and encourage them? And she said, they're never open to that. She said, I'm telling you, it's my entire church. Now she has a small church, so there's probably 30 people. She said, all 29 of them will not do it. And she said, but for years, they continue to put in those same prayer requests. We need to get up, right? We need to get up and press toward the mark. There's a work to be done. Here we are. We're going to read that. Philippians 3.14. Ready? I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. You now, one day, George Mueller, have you ever heard of him? Some of you have Strong Tower Radio, and I've enjoyed his stories, and they're beautiful. He's a godly missionary man. And he decided that he needed to pray for five of his friends. And he prayed daily for months but only one of them eventually came to the Lord. He continued to pray consistently without getting discouraged. And 10 years later, one more of his friends became a Christian. It took 25 years before the fourth man, oh, did I miscount one of them? Yeah, well, anyway, 25 years before another man was saved. Now you really know what wait on the Lord means, right? And he persevered in prayer. How many of you are guilty of praying for something for a few weeks and then you give up? That's why we need prayer books and prayer journals, right? Muller persevered in prayer and another person came to the Lord just before his death. And he was upset because he said, the Lord did not give me that fifth person that I've been praying for. That person came to his funeral and was so touched by what happened that here he was dead, and the man finally gave his heart to him, and he's going to see him in heaven, right? And I just need to ask you, are you persevering in prayer? Are you writing down things? Don't people ask you to pray for them all the time? Are you praying immediately when they say that so that you can continue to pray for them and like, or write it down? Sometimes we have to move forward when it feels wrong to our emotions and some people do you remember in the old testament they had to walk into the water being faithful before the water parted and then the lord changed that for them and sometimes we need to do that we need to think about big instead of little i've seen church schools where they they prayed that you know their school could open they didn't have the money and then suddenly there was all these people that came in i have a friend who used to pray the prayer of Jabez and she said, you know, we need more people to keep our school going and the kids got so that they were always tickled because one more was always coming to the classroom. Like, we need to be praying and we need to see the victory and we need to recognize that the Lord is answering our prayers. I thought I would read you a testimony. I often have people that come in for counseling and they have some special stories and I always ask them, could I use that in a seminar? And so this woman wrote this down to me. She said, I've been through a terrible experience when my husband left home a couple of years ago. He told me, I don't want to be married to you anymore. She said I was really hurt. And then I justified it and I said, it must be another woman or maybe he's got a drug issue. I decided that I needed to pray for him and for me seriously too because I realized as I started to pray that I did have some issues too. I began to pray for my husband's salvation and for God to take care of him, even though I was hurting so much that I really didn't feel like that. Do you notice? She's struggling with her feelings. But up here, she knows that she needs to pray for him. I had many things to learn. I know that I was quick to speak, and I often hurt his feelings, and I was disrespectful, and I really took that verse to heart that we were talking about in our counseling sessions about being quick to listen and slow to speak. I started leaving all of my problems at the family altar of finances, work, kids, and my husband. I was impressed to leave my spouse at the altar too because just accepting that God would work on him, I wanted to control it and I realized that I needed to just leave him there at the altar and the Lord would have to take care of it. I can't say that I even really wanted my husband back after a while because I was just so annoyed with him. I'm here to tell you, after praying long and hard for almost a year, that God answered my prayers. Miracle after miracle I received, and I will not recount them all. My husband started coming back to the house to see the kids, and he was being friendly. I wasn't sure I even wanted him back because I was hurt beyond belief, but I kept praying about what should I do. Do you see her struggling with her emotional intelligence versus her feelings? And of course, not everybody has a happy ending to a story, but this is one of those where the Lord, the person was listening to the prayers. I can confirm that my prayers surpassed all understanding and the Lord heard my prayer. I feel my marriage is a miracle and miracle of miracles. My husband finally moved back home. And what a surprise. He was never a person that went to church before, but now he attends church with me. My spouse actually tells me how happy he is with me. I have changed too. My mouth is quieter, and I have been much more respectful. And I've encouraged him, and I try to compliment him as well. We have been studying and having devotions. One night, I was teaching a night class, and my husband came to my class with a birthday card and a cake. He announced to the class that he wanted to publicly say in front of my students, and I didn't know what he was about to say, that I was such a great wife, and he just wanted them to all recognize what a special person I was, and he led them in a song of birthday, kissing me and eating cake with everybody. I was overwhelmed with emotion, but it was all good emotions, and I know that the Lord not only healed my marriage, but he healed my attitude as well. I like happy stories. We all know that there are stories that do not end happily, but we need to recognize that no matter how I feel or how frustrated I am, that I need to be praying we dishonor God when we are whining and we talk about our problems all the time rather than what God has done that was good for us, don't we? What is going, um, when we're going through our difficulties, we need to realize that God sent his son and he sacrificed everything for us and he's been very good to us and we need to not have self-pity. Self-pity will keep you immobilized so that your future is no different than your past. Do you agree with that? So let's read from James 5-7. Be patient, then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently wait for the autumn and the spring. So, what if the farmer says to his wife after he plants the crop, Let's move to California and see if we like it better out there? He would miss out on what? The harvest. And if he stays, he has to learn to trust God for the rain and the sunshine, and he gets to harvest his crops. Do you think that sometimes we quit before the Lord is able to bless us for what we were doing? There are a lot of people that tell me, oh, the Lord, you know, my church asked me to do this. And then when they don't get pats on the back or they had a problem or somebody said something, they're ready to just throw in the towel. We are working for who? Yes, not for humanity. Let's talk about how negative thinking can hurt our motivation. If I keep saying I can't, I can't, I won't, I I just don't know what to do, it's really hard. So let's read this. This is from Ellen White, um, Ministry of Healing, page 251. Ready? Nothing tends more to promote health of body and soul than does the spirit of gratitude and praise. It is a positive duty to resist melancholy, discontented thoughts and feelings as much, a duty as it is to pray. Those professed Christians who are constantly complaining have not genuine religion. Whoa. So we are supposed to do what with melancholy when we feel moody and discouraged? We're supposed to do what? Resist it. it. It is as big of a duty to resist melancholy as it is to what? Wow, they're in the same paragraph. And when we have genuine religion, we aren't constantly complaining. We're giving God praise. Wow, some very important things to see. Is the grass eyes greener on the other side of the fence? No. Did you ever feel that your life was worse than other people's? My mother used to say that when I would complain, you know, your life, you know, there's always somebody who's hurting more than you. And if you don't quit complaining, I'm going to make it worse than other people. Yeah, did you ever hear that? And if somebody tells you your their life is hard, you could say compared to who, right? I think about all those people in paradise that lost their houses and people that are in natural disasters and You know, and and Christ was crucified for my sins, and he certainly went through a lot. Can we suffer some discomfort? Can we? And still be faithful to God? Are we going to suffer more than we are right now? Are these little tests, are are we going to pass them? Or if we don't pass them, what will God do? Give us more tests, right? We are really needing to do that. Thoughts that limit God. I can't take this. What if I, if I say, I can't take this, what happens? I get more anxious, more nervous, and I'm watching for reasons why I can't take this. If I say, I can't do this, then I start to only think about the issues that adapt to what I'm thinking, right? I'm not comfortable with this. Do you think God can stretch us past our comfort levels? You know, many of us, I used to love talking about personalities. You know the sanguine, the phlegmatic, the melancholy, the, um, the choleric And I'm convinced that when we are Christians, that God takes us out of some of our personalities and pushes us into others because we all become hospitality people. We all become kind. We all become trying to organize things for his service. And I just think that he stretches us and we should not limit him. Perseverance isn't fun, is it? But we are commanded to persevere and to press what? That's right. I can't think of anybody more um, resilient than my son Carlo. How many of you know my son Carlo? Okay. You all know about him? Yes. Carlo survived the amputation of a gangrenous arm, accidents, The abandonment of his father, the murder of his mother, physical abuse and beatings, but he stayed focused. His dream was to serve God and to be educated in the United States. And God blessed him. It looked like he was going to starve to death or he was going to be homeless or he wasn't going to have any education or he wasn't going to have a place to um, call his own or he wasn't going to have any support. And God blessed him and he would, the doors would open for Carlo because Carlo is a man of prayer and he's a Christian. And he always told me when he had all these terrible things and his father abandoned him and his mother was murdered, he said, you know, I just thought that the Lord was crying for me. I could just see Jesus just taking it for me. Like we need to think about it that way, don't you? And after hearing his story, I wrote his book. It's over there in the ABC, but it is an amazing story. And right now, Carlo um, is at the University of Missouri, and he's in his, he just finished his first year of his Ph.D. in music education. Full scholarship and a teaching assistant so he can get through. So we just need to not give up. I know many of you have heard of Neil Nedley, who does that 10-day stop, stop depression no depression recovery program and he said that the patients that he gets in have terrible self talk and that they are very low on emotional intelligence when they come into the program but 10 days later they are higher on their testing of emotional intelligence than the average out there in the United States and he said that when we say things like i can't stand it or i'm miserable that this actually starts to change some of the chemicals in the brain and people get more depressed and it sets them up to fail and it increases their anxiety. And he said, we can get on the other side of it if we recognize that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and I can tolerate things. So he has this song that he sings with people and I thought you would like to sing it. I'm sure you know the song Frera Jaca, Right. So we are going to fight I can't stand it, itis, and we're going to sing it to Frere Jacques. Are you ready? I don't like it, I don't like it. It's okay, it's okay. I can stand it anyways, I can stand it anyways. I'm all right, I'm all right. Let's do it again. I don't like it, I don't like it. It's okay, it's okay. I can stand it anyway, I can stand it anyway, I'm all right, I'm all right. So when you get really distressed, you have a little song to sing, don't you? I think it's a very helpful song. I'm going to talk to you about your emotions. We talked about it the other day. The core emotions are anger, fear, sadness, and joy. You can have a lot of emotions in between, but know that those are your core emotions. If you are um, in, let's say, anger, you know, emotions, some people go, oh, I just wish I could be quiet and not have any of these emotions. Emotions were given to us. They were a godly thing. Remember, be angry, but don't sin. Be, ang- like, anger tells you that usually somebody has crossed over their boundaries and they're, they're you need to, like, make a protection or, or you need to stand up for somebody or you need to forgive somebody, whatever. It's telling you something. So you need to work on it and then let it go. You need to recognize that it's helpful because it tells you that you got something to do. And you need to be able to forgive people too. Okay, then there's another one, which is Fear. Fear might be telling us that we need to take protection. We need to, uh, we need to hide. We need to run. We need to, we need to figure out why somebody is threatening us, or we, we need to figure out why we're feeling panic. By the way, sometimes we're not in danger and we feel panic anyway, and that means that we're over-controlling ourselves, and we think that we can take care of things a lot better than God. You, you see that? We have to give it to God. Some people live with so much fear and panic that it becomes a real hard um, trait that they have and a pattern, and they need a little extra help. Men, I'm talking about a stereotypical, men often get that fight or flight when they have that fear, and many of them like to escape. And sometimes they escape into wrong, bad places, and that does not help them because when they're done with their escape, they come back to the problem, and it hasn't been solved. All right. All right. I think I'll be turning my phone off here. All right, keeping fear in our life can create problems like obsessive compulsive disorder, social phobia, generalized anxiety disorders, and panic attacks. We really want to make sure that when we're done dealing with our fear that we move forward into another area. All right, so then that leaves us with sadness. Now, I'm going through these very fast. You understand that you may be feeling some of these, and and you and I'm not saying that you know I just fixed it in two seconds. We're just looking at some of it and visiting some of it. If you're experiencing sadness, what likely happened? You had a loss or an adjustment or a change in your life, right? And grief has many stages, right? First one is shock, and the next one is anger, and the next one is is disorientation, you don't know what you're going to do, and then actually as you get through the stages, you start to move forward. There isn't anything wrong with taking time to grieve. And grieving is, is good for us when we go through it, because if we postpone it, then we have a problem, which is the grieving stages last longer. But then there's also that negative grief where we look backward and we overanalyze and we keep asking why, why, why. There are not answers to why all the time, is there? There was a researcher that did a really interesting study on widows. Again, I don't want you to think that I'm giving you the 25 cents version, but I just want you to know about this. It was interesting that they looked at widows and they found out that pretty much at the very beginning, they often say why. But after a few months, half of them stopped saying why, and the other half started continuing to say why. The other ones that stopped saying why started doing what? What do I need to do now? What do I, do I need to go back to school? What should I get rid of in my house? What do I, you know, need to do on my career? Um, What do I need to do with my kids? Those kinds of things. And after they watched them for two or three years, they found out the ones who continued to analyze and, and obsess about why this is not fair, there's no answers to why, right? We are in a sinful world. Those are the ones who had more anxiety and depression. But the ones that said what actually were able to move through those stages and they had less mental health problems. Just an interesting thing. You know, the Lord gave the Israelites, I was reading that, remember when Moses died? He let the Israelites grieve. He gave them 30 days. They could cry, they could wail, they could talk about all their memories, and then they were to be on their way. Kind of an interesting thought. Doesn't happen with all of us, but it is like there's a time to grieve and a time to move on, isn't there? As best we can. And sometimes we need some help. Of all those emotions that we just talked about, which one, what were they? Anger. Fear and grief. Sad yeah, grief or sadness. Those are all unhealthy emotions if we hold on to them long enough. They hurt our immune system. They hurt our stomachs, our gastrointestinal areas. Like, um, they, they take our immune system down as in we can get infections, bacterial issues, all kinds of things. The only and most healthy emotion is joy, Joy is the only one that has no consequences. Joy actually makes the body feel better. It lights up the brain. It makes people feel physically healthy. And God says that he wants to give us joy, right? Remember, you you teach your kids, I have the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. I have the peace that passes understanding. Those are all good things because when we keep up with those other emotions, it will take a, a toll on us. And actually, they've been finding that, you know, not only does it set up people for anxiety and depression, but it also, they're starting to find some Alzheimer's research that supports that people with some of those mental health issues have and develop it lots faster. If you wake up in the morning and you have a bad day, that's not your fault. But if you continue to have a bad day, that's your fault. Because as soon as you realize that you're in a bad mood, God is there and ready to help you move forward. And he can replace your bad thoughts with a Bible promise, with encouragement. You can also do the gratitude. Like, remember that God wants you to feel joyous. And so we need to continue to use our intelligence to think about what we're going to do instead. Praying actually lights up the brain. It's one of the healthiest things you can do. Singing religious songs, you, know, you look at the brain, it it's, it's enhances the brain, makes it very healthy. There's all kinds of research on that. You can look it up, Google it. You can say when you wake up and you're feeling crabby, This is the day, what? The Lord has made. I will and be. So just by talking it, we can actually make it happen. The Lord will um, actually heal our emotions. Isn't that exciting? Gratefulness stops bad attitudes, by the way. People usually who have a bad attitude are feeling sorry for themselves. Oh, you know, life is really hard. Nobody ever trusts me, and they don't, they don't ever take me for serious or whatever. Yeah, we need to continue to think about that. If you feel like you're in the darkness, do as it says in Colossians 3.2. It says, set your minds on things, what? And not on, I talked about that illustration. You can't go forward in a car if you're looking in the rearview mirror. We have to look at the things above or else we will be discouraged if we continue to look down here. It's like when you go to Google Earth and you see the whole planet, it's so exciting. You see, it's so amazing to see God's But then you keep on putting it down lower, and then you see your country, and then you see your state, and then you see your city, and then you see your house, and then you see the dirt. There is all this stuff to look at, but you could focus on the dirt when there's heaven to be looking at, right? Romans 12, 2. Purposely think about how God is and how God has a plan for your life. Do you remember? He's got a plan for our future, right? Not to what? Not to hurt us, but to prosper us. Did you ever have, did you ever sing that song, I Just Feel Like Something Good Is About To Happen? That's like a faithful song. I don't know if you know it. Does any of, do any of you know it? Do you know the Lord has given us many songs, hymns, and beautiful music? Make sure that you sing because it encourages you and it lights up your brain and it makes you healthy. When Larry Alexander learned that he had 18 months to live, his world came crashing down. The prospect of experimental surgery offered some hope, but the future was bleak. His wife, Anne, then pregnant with their third child, faced the stress of having to raise their three children, provide for the family, and nurse a man who faced the prospect of losing his life. While most families would have cracked under the pressure, the Alexanders did not. In fact, they later looked back on what had happened, and they believed that stress brought them closer together. Larry didn't succumb to the injury which threatened his life, but he was never able to go back to work and work as a college professor or hold a job down. This caused financial hardship and changes, but they believed their family was enriched by their ordeal. We don't have the money we used to have, said Larry, but most of the time we find ways of managing. We're basically a very close family. Do you ever wonder why stress causes some families to break up while others are strengthened? Two researchers, Dr. Nick Stenet and John Dufresne, began studying 3,000 families, including this family, and they published their findings in a book that was entitled Secrets of Strong Families. And here's what they found. Families that survive often enjoy each other's company. They worship together in church. They're committed to each other. And actually, the Alexanders were normally in church two or three times a week, unless her schedule was preventing it or they're with a child at school. And they also found out that families who have a commitment to each other appreciate each other and compliment each other communicate make time together have spiritual wellness and determination to oh that would cope with crises yeah they would refuse to take each other for granted and so they did better and so they said very important that people show appreciation to each other and hopefully you'll never ever Face the stressors that the Alexanders did, but recognize that you have a lot of things that you can do that will determine whether you'll be successful in your family, which is emotionally intelligent family behaviors. So what have you learned today? Anybody, something that you feel that was practical that you could put into your life and you could think about that would be helpful for you? regarding motivation perseverance. Anybody? I've got a microphone. Is it on? Yes. This morning I got up and I realized I Say was loud. This morning when I got up I realized I was in a grumpy mood when I spoke to somebody. And then I had a minute later to You're think in your amygdala. to th- think about it. And I said to myself, self, you can choose um, your thought patterns now and you don't have to be grumpy all day.: That's wonderful. So you took that to heart. Anybody closer? All right. I realize when I get up in the morning that before I go out the door, I don't know if I heard this somewhere or somebody said this to me, but I realize that there's like a coat rack hanging on the wall, and I can choose whether to put on discouragement. Amen. I can choose whether to put on happiness. Whatever coat I want to choose to put on, I can put on it's before I go out the door. And I'll encourage you to put on your joy cl- clothes, right? Joy clothes. Oh, thank you. There was one. I- I'm going to take two more. I function in the business world and read a lot of those kind of business books that talk about a lot of interesting things and function in a leadership group all around the country. And I'm very encouraged by this because this is some of the stuff that we're talking about in the secular world. Yes. And I really appreciate that there is more scripture and that the answer what you're saying is the answers are there and it's encouraging me that i need to dive in deeper here and make sure that i'm filtering what i'm reading in the secular world against what god has to say actually the secular world is also putting the eastern religion in with it you know we need to be mindful and all the rest but these are biblical principles is there one more one more
1: Sorry to make you run all the way here. Um, I have found in the past, and I still um, do this, and, and I think we all have had our shares of people that we dislike strongly, and for whatever reasons.
0: Oh, because powers and principalities are in control.
1: And I have had to do this. I uh, it bothered me that I disliked certain people so much, or a certain person. And I said it to myself to pray for that person for an entire year nonstop. And to pray that good things would happen to them that would be uh, controlled by God. And And somewhere during that time, I don't know when, I began to like that person. It is impossible to dislike, even sm- small on a small scale, to dislike a person that you continually pray for. Amen. It is impossible Amen. to do that.
0: Actually, thank you, Vera. And, um, and I'll let that be the last one because of our time. But they, oh, you mean one more? There was a research project where they showed um, couples that prayed for each other for a month, 30 days. They looked at the beginning, how they felt about each other, and they looked at the end. And those couples actually had much more warm and fond feelings for people uh, when they were done with the 30 days. And they said that they wondered if if the reason was that, you know, it was a non-Christian researcher. Maybe it was because getting things off their chest made them feel better and emotionally healthier people made, made better relationships. But we know that God answers our prayers and that when we pray for them, we have more nurture and compassion for them. So... Yeah. Okay. You, did you have one more? No. no. Okay. Done. Okay. Thank you so much for helping me. Let's read this. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. And here's another one. Love is patient. Love is what? It always. Always trust, always hopes, always love never fails. I wanted to finish with this story. I um, am a big Facebook person because I love to share devotional thoughts on there. And a woman wrote to me, and I thought this was so special, and it was from a church in another state. This woman is wheelchair-bound, and she attends prayer meetings every week. She believes in the power of prayer. But something terrible happened. Her husband was having a Sabbath school lesson, and somebody came in and said something very harsh to him in front of everybody. and he was so shocked that um, that afternoon he had a stroke. She didn't know if it was related, and a week later he died. And people, you know, were all like, "You know, that person that killed your husband." she said, "No, I'm not going to do it. We don't know. The Lord allowed certain things. We need to not do that. We need to not be bitter." But instead of holding a grievance, she said, you know, because she was a prayer, a woman of prayer, she said, I would like to start a prayer ministry, and we need to pray for that person that was so harsh. And we also need to pray. She said, we have a very troubled church. She said, we deserve being a troubled church. We've had troubles for a long time. And she said, she went through her entire church church which had been really going down in size, and she said only six to eight people were willing to participate. Not even their pastor would participate. She asked them to make a commitment to pray every day for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in their church and in their own hearts. They were to pray for the pastor, their local church, and for their conference. She said we decided to connect our prayer to something that we do daily, like an activity, so we would be reminded and not forget to say our prayers. Some people it was right when they got out of bed; they were going to pray. Other people, when they got on a freeway express, you know, lane or something. Um, sometimes it was when they walked into work; they were going to pray. And uh, she said we held each one accountable and checked every week to see if everyone was still praying. And she said the answer was yes. She said six to eight prayer warriors better than nothing. And so she said, we continued to go on. She said, we had been praying for the last year. And she said, we are not the same people on the inside that we were last year. The last year, she said, has been a year of total, absolute miracles. Within the last year, we have had an endless supply of miracles. And we keep saying to each other, wow, that is so amazing. And then God sends us another miracle. She said, don't make any mistakes. There have been many opportunities to find out that powers and principalities are not amused with the new order of the day, but there have been even more opportunities to see that God is in charge and more powerful than already defeated. She said, we have former members who have not darkened the doors of our church in years, but now they have returned to our church. She said, We have watched barriers between us and our community dissolve. She said, Nobody stayed after church. Everybody disappeared right after the church. Now we stand after church, and she said, We talk and we talk. There may not be any potluck go on, but people want to see each other, and many times it's an hour or more before people go home. And she said, People linger, and it's just shocking. She said, even our board members, people don't want to go home from our board meetings. What's that about? She said, they hang around and visit. We are all tight friends. She said, we draw strength from fellowshipping with each other. We love each other. She says, we pray every day, sometimes several times a day. She said, prayer changes hearts and increases our love for one another. Isn't that an inspiring story? Are you praying? Are you persevering? Do you know what your goal is? Do you know what God wants you to accomplish this week? Do you know what He wants you to accomplish this year? Are you forgiving people? Are you praying for your loved ones? Are you not giving up in despair? Are you praying for your relationships? We need to keep praying, we need to keep moving forward, and we need to recognize that our emotions should not cripple us because God is so much stronger. We can learn from our emotions, but they are gauges, not controls, right? Let's pray. Dear Father, we just thank you that you've been with us. We thank you for the time that we are allowed to have in here. I pray for each person here, Lord, that they will make a goal with you, that they will surround themselves with supportive people, that they will try and find people to pray with on this campus that they will be praying for the meetings, the speakers, but Lord, especially for their own hearts, because we know we're stony and that we need to soften. And Lord, you love us, you take care of us, and we want to go forward towards your cross so that we can be in heaven one day without all these issues around us. In your holy name, amen.
1: This media was brought to you by Audioverse